I'm glad you guys are all here with us uh, tonight. Let's all stand and uh, let's pray and worship the Lord this evening. Father God, we just thank you for uh, just this evening and what a privilege it is that we can come together and worship you. I pray that you would just be glorified in this time, in this place, God, that you would just uh, be praised tonight. In Jesus' name. Every chain of 
worship you, God. We just ask that you be glorified in this time, God. We give you all the glory and praise.
Well, good evening, church. Kept the lights low because we're going to show a little PowerPoint in just a minute. So I kept them low. We'll turn them back on in a second. I didn't want to turn them down, turn them up, turn them down again. So um, 20 years ago, we had a, a worship practice on Thursday night, which is when we did our worship practices. And uh, my wife and I, we were away for our 25th, uh, 25th wedding anniversary. And there's a phone call at the church over there in Seminole, and Laura answered it. And it's uh, some gentleman from India, a guy named Gunnar. And, and he says his son is coming out to America. He's going to be going to SMS, which is MSU now, get his MBA. And, and uh, we need you to pick him up at the airport. You know, Laura's going, okay, uh, who is this again? And, and uh, I guess he called twice. He called the first time. He called twice now. So we missed picking him up from the airport. So some of them from the school picked him up. But we, we uh, uh, met him the following week. Um, his name is Ehrlich John Solomon. His father's name is Gunnar, and he's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Bangalore, India. And I'm going to let John tell you. We call him John because I, I can't say Ehrlich that easily. So, Pastor, just call me John. It's all right, John. Everybody else calls him Ehrlich. But, uh, so you can call him that, Ehrlich or John, or just don't call him late for dinner. And, um, but anyway, so I don't, know, I don't know anything about India. I don't know the culture. Hindu, I, I know. I don't know how that equates with, you know, what they do. And so we have this men's retreat that I say, yeah, John, I'd love to have you come with. I get to know you. Come on down to this men's retreat. Well, one of the guys named Bubba, I mean, he has this barbecue business thing. And we had like a half a side of beef that we cooked for this thing. I'm thinking, do they eat beef in India? I, I, I don't know. And so I was really concerned about it, but John loved it, and <laughs> yeah, they, he eats beef. But uh, anyway, so over the years, we got to know the culture and the family, and, and John has become a part of our family. Now, he's, he's grown. Uh, he was 22 when he's here now, and it's been 20 years ago. He's got three beautiful kids, a lovely wife, and he's out to talk about the ministry and then also to share a Bible study. So I want him to share about the ministry they have going on over there, but I also want him to teach for us. And we just couldn't do it all in one night. So I invited him in tonight to share about the ministry. And, uh, and then Sunday he's going to share a special study to us from God's Word. So um, we're going to begin with a, a quick PowerPoint. Is that okay, John? PowerPoint first? A video. Okay, let me get out of the way. Let's go for it.
All right, if we can get the lights. And please welcome with me, Ehrlich John Sullivan. Um, it's wonderful to be here this morning. Um, 20 years ago, uh, I was just a young student, you know, who was, uh, who didn't have any clue why I was in the U.S. And uh, I came to Pastor Tom's home, and uh, he took me uh, as a father, and Lisa like a mother. And uh, I just grew up with them. Uh, their last son was Matthew, was five years old when I first came here. And uh, he used to say, India, 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 you know, like in his <laughs> accent. And um, I'm glad to be here 20 years later. I came as a student, but uh, 20 years later, I come to U.S. as a pastor. So it is exactly 20 years, September 11th, uh, 2003, that I was in U.S. for the first time. So I went to school here and uh, did my MBA, Master's in Business in Missouri State. I graduated and worked in uh, Kansas City for a couple of years for Sprint Nextel. Uh, then I moved to Washington, D.C. and worked there for a telecom firm for two and a half years. Uh, but I had a um, calling, like a tug in my heart uh, from 2007 that I need to go back to India. And, um, but life was very comfortable here, you know, and uh, I used to uh, visit India like, you know, once a year when I was here. And uh, every year I go, like, you know, like uh, I get down on the airport and I'm taking the streets, you know, to go home and then I see all this traffic. So I'm starting to pray, like, you know, like, <laughs> Lord, save me, you know, I need to get home, you know, the traffic is so much and the people are driving crazy. He put the right blinker and they turn left and all sort of crazy stuff. And I noticed, like, you know, when I was in India, my prayer life used to grow, like, five times more than when I was in the U.S. So that's something, you know, good that, you know, you're completely dependent on God, you know, when you're there. So there are many things I'll share today. But um, so 2009, I went back to India after two years of uh, uh, saying, God, uh, I'll send missionaries from here. You know, let me be here in comfortable USA. Uh, but, you know, at one point, you know, I, I decided that, Lord, uh, I'll, I'll uh, do what you tell me to do. I will not uh, keep on postponing. I will not keep on justifying. And so, uh, 2009, I got married uh, when I went back to India. Again, it was arranged marriage. And uh, <laughs> if you want to know how arranged marriage works, you know, you can talk to me. I know uh, parents here with young children, you know, you're saying, yeah, I would like to know. But I know a lot of teenagers are saying, stay away from me. <laughs> I don't want to know. So, um, it's been going well. You know, we have three kids, and so arranged marriage works too. <laughs> and so... Um, I've been uh, helping my dad there uh, with the ministry and uh, have a pas I'm pastor there in, uh, in a church. And we have uh, the other things that's going on, which I'll share today. And towards the end, there'll be time for some questions. Uh, so if you want to know more about India or if you have any uh, questions about the culture there um, or like you know, how different it is from the U.S. and so on. So please uh, go ahead and ask me. So I'll try to wrap up in um, 30 minutes probably. And then you have time for some questions. And then I'll see you again on Sunday also. So shall we pray and we'll uh, get into this. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for how good you are. You thank you for fulfilling each one of the promises, Lord, that you have upon our lives. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would um, touch each one of us today. 
Lord, you would touch the nation of India, Lord. Many who don't know you, Lord, they are like a sheep without a shepherd. They don't know the difference between the right hand and the left hand. And Lord, would you raise up workers, Lord, to reach out to the every part of India, Lord, and that you would provide for us, Lord, workers, laborers in the harvest field. Lord, please send out. Lord, as we uh, look at your work, amazing work, Lord, that you've done in the last 30 years, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead us and guide us. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 1989 is when the ministry started. And uh, my dad was working in a very good job. And uh, incidentally, you might ask why my name is a German name. <laughs> uh, before you ask that question, my dad was brought up in an orphanage himself. Uh, he lost his uh, dad at a very young age. So he was raised in an orphanage. And in that orphanage, uh, it was supported by a, a German organization, German Christian organization. And the guy who sponsored my dad uh, when he was coming through this orphanage was called Ulrich. And so uh, that's why my name Ulrich. And he's a German man. And so 1989, my dad got out of the orphanage and he was having a very good job. And uh, But, you know, he had a calling upon his life. He wanted uh, to serve the orphans that he uh, came up with. You know, he grew up with orphans, orphan children and the suffering and the needy. And so 1989 uh, was a time that um, he decided that uh, he had to take a decision to move into the ministry. But you know, many times, you know, we have a lot of desires in our heart. We have uh, God's uh, spirit, you know, working in us and, and nudging us to some things. But, you know, you don't know, we don't know when the right timing is. So at that time, what happened, my dad was, um, felt sick, like um, very sick. And I was nine years old, eight years old in 1989 felt very sick and he was bedridden. He could not move his hands and legs. You know, he was like completely bedridden. And for a few weeks, you know, the, the doctors could not help. Nothing was working. And then one pastor came one day and uh, he said, uh, he, he was talking to my dad and my dad was telling that, you know, um, uh, this, this, the, I have this desire to serve the Lord, uh, but I'm not able to um, take the decision and I don't know what I will do now. I'm, I'm sick and bedridden. And at that time, uh, the pastor said, maybe... Uh, this is the Lord's timing. Maybe God wants you to take that step and, and go serve him full time. And so uh, my dad immediately, you know, um, started uh, uh, asking the pastor to write the resignation letter. And the pastor wrote the resignation letter from his organization. And then my dad could not s uh, sign the letter. So the pastor had to help my dad's hand to sign that uh, resignation. And within a couple of weeks, my dad was completely all right. And uh, within a couple of weeks, he's back to normal. And so what we did, the first step of this uh, Calvary Chapel India ministry was um, we started going to slums of India, the slums of Bangalore. Let me give you an example of a slum. Uh, slum is a place like, let's say, uh, 10 by 10 feet, you know, like 10 feet into 10 feet of a home, small hut. And in that, there will be like a family of four or five. And it's, it's covered by a temporary roof and just like no proper roads. And just this in small house, they are crammed. Just imagine 1,000, 2,000 homes like that in, a, in a one area. That's a slum in India. So violence is rampant, drug addiction, alcoholism, and abusive language, physical abuse, demonic stuff. All these things are there in the slum. So we wanted to go to this place where um, all these things were. And so we went and we didn't know what to do. 
And God always, like, you know, as we've seen in the scripture so many times, that God uh, shows us just one step at a time. You know, he's not going to give me the map. He's telling, like, okay, take first step. And so we, what we did, we started asking the young children there to come for Sunday school. Sunday school is like children's, children's church. And so um, we didn't start a church. We didn't do anything. So started Sunday school, and the kids from this local area started to come. And so we started to teach them Bible songs, you know, Bible stories and memory verses and so on. Within a couple of months, you know, we noticed something. All these children were starting to become well-behaved. And their parents started to come. These young children's parents started to come and they were saying, what are you guys teaching our kids here? They are starting to become well-behaved. They are starting to do work at home. You know, they don't talk bad language anymore. They, they, we see some changes in our children's lives. And so they started to come and then we said, okay, fine, let's do a Bible study for you guys. And so that was the first church in the slum in Bangalore. And we started doing Bible study, and that gave birth to a church. And we still have that church. It's still going very strong. And all these people, you know, started to come, and we started to have the church and then the Sunday school. And after over a period of time, we started to notice a lot of widows started to come. These widows have lost their husbands because of uh, drug overdose or alcoholism or or many of the, uh, their husbands are in prison because of murder and uh, something. So these uh, widows have nowhere to grow. And uh, they have these kids in their hands and they are not able to raise them. And so we say, okay, Lord, <laughs> what should we do? And let's, we got five kids and we started an orphanage in 1992. And the orphanages were for these children, these widows uh, who could not go to work and cannot provide for these children. So we started to have them. So within like three years, we started to have churches in some slums of Bangalore, we started to have Sunday school ministry, and we started to have uh, an orphanage. And so that is the uh, starting of the ministry. And we, God gave us a promise, you know, the ministry, uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And just following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we are today, 30 years later, you know, uh, if you can shift to the next slide, you know, uh, we are in so many locations in India. And probably like, you know, like more than 11 locations in India, different states from north to south. So a little bit about India. India is, I mean, as you saw in the video, 1.4 billion people. Let's go back to the map. So uh, 1.4 billion people and uh, 3%, 2 to 3% are Christians in India. Just imagine in a nation of 1.4 billion, that means we are the minority of the minority. And uh, Muslims are 12%. And that makes India the largest Muslim nation in the world because of the population. And Hinduism, you know, Hindus are 85%. So all the governments that we had so far are anti-Christian governments, which means, you know, we cannot uh, worship the Lord in freedom like you do here. And we cannot have um, debates with the government. We cannot go to the city council or to the state or the... So we, we don't have, we, we are not even recognized as people. And so in this uh, situation, we have all this, uh, uh, the Hinduism and, and, and all these things going on. You know, we, we have to see another aspect of it. It's the poverty in India. 90% of India, out of this 1.4 billion, 90% of India lives on less than $300 a month. Less than $300 a month. And if you make it equivalent to U.S. standards, it's like $1,000 a month. 90% of India lives on less than $300 a month. 
And so because there's poverty, there is suffering, there is, there is uh, demonic oppression, and there is, um, there is no hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this situation, you know, it, it becomes very important for us to go and preach the gospel to every slums and villages of India. And so that's why we have, like, you know, we have all these centers, and uh, 30 years later, we have um, nearly 67 churches in India. Just this is churches, like it could be small churches, slum churches, uh, village churches, and some churches, you know, some places we cannot have a proper church. Like, you know, they won't give us a place for church. Like, even if you go and want to rent a place to conduct Sunday service, you know, nobody will allow us. So we need to have a church in, like, someone's home. So we have nearly 150 home churches. Uh, you could probably call it underground churches, you know, because nobody wants to recognize that as a church. So we have uh, actual churches and we have underground, so more than 200 churches in India. So there is this ministry called, we, our ministry on the state side is called Send Hope. H-O-P-E. H-O-P-E. So there is an, ac- it's an acronym, you know, I'll say for H is for Homes of Hope, you know, for this orphan children. O is for Outreach to the Unreached People in India. So H-O-P is provision to widows and people with leprosy. And E is uh, education. You know, we give education to the most needy people. So H-O-P-E. So I want to take a few moments to just talk about this H-O-P-E. And then um, I want to just close. So H. uh, Let's go to the next one. So the H is the homes of hope. These homes, you know, like I said earlier, the children were... They started, people started to know that we, have, we are running these orphanages. So what they used to do, we, we wake up in the morning, at the entrance of the church, you'll see babies, like 10-day-old babies, or like one-month-old babies. Just placed there, and then people just take off. And we see the children in the, in the orphanages and in our church doors, and we don't know what to do, and we start to raise them. And today, by God's grace, you know, this hopeless situation, these children who were abandoned, who were rejected, they, they, they have they are provided care, so we provide them protection, food, we provide them education. Sometimes we arrange marriage for them. In fact, right now I'm working on two arranged marriages. So what my dad used to do, I'm continuing to do that. So, uh, I'm, so this is very common because we want to make sure that children, these children are established. And God, because of this last 30 years, nearly 2,154 children have graduated from this home so far. And these children are like, you know, they came as having nobody, untouchables, you know, because of the caste system in India, they, they were like, you know, the lowest part, they were born into a untouchable, like, you know, people won't touch them. So, so we are caring for them, we provide food for them, and they, especially above all, you know, we, we share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they grow, and uh, they get married to a Christian brother or sister, and now they have godly families. You know, they have a home that, that, that they could have never imagined. You know, like that. what the enemy intends for evil, God turns it around for good. And so this amazing, these children, like, you know, I, I was talking to one of the boys last week, and his wife, you know, he, she is, you know, this boy is from our home of hope. And his wife came and told me, uh, Brother John, my husband is in this situation today because of uh, Calvary Chapel India. Because, you know, if not for Calvary Chapel India, I don't know what might happen to my husband. So they have a beautiful son. And, uh, and he's getting his master's degree, and he's a like, very senior accountant, so he's doing well in life. So God's, like, God's working amazingly in these in this lives of these young children. And so today, as of today, we have 547 children in these homes, and these are, many of these children are infected with HIV AIDS. 
And in India, HIV AIDS, because of lack of awareness, people are dying because of HIV AIDS. And so what happens, they, they, the children also, they get infected with this disease. And they don't take any medicine, they don't go to the doctor, you know, so they are like, you know, like a, like a 16-year-old boy, you know, will be this high. But with the HIV AIDS, you know, it will be this tall. And so, so they are malnourished, they are thrown out of their villages and slums because people are so um, unaware that, you know, about the disease. So they want to stay away from these children. So we care for these children in different orphanages. So we have 547 children in our homes today. And then around 55 children have come and they have uh, died, you know, in our homes because, you know, they came very sick. They came at a very bad state. So we tried to take care of them, but, you know, uh, we lost them. So they are in God's presence. And so this is the ministry of homes, you know, H. And the next one I want to talk, probably spend a little more and longer time, is the outreach. Yeah. The outreach part. You know, that is the gospel part. Can we have the next? Yeah, so these are the homes, you know, just a picture of the homes in different places in India. And um, you can see all the children. And so these are the, some of the churches. Yeah, you can go to the next one. So these are the churches. I know I don't have a bigger picture, but you can see the churches, you know, just small churches, like, you know, churches that's probably the size of, size of this stage, half the size of the stage, and probably longer, and some big churches also. And so uh, we have th th that's few of the churches' pictures there. And so uh, I will tell you how we go and sh share the gospel and, you know, how we do the gospel work in India. And I probably will spend a longer time, you know, because it's going to be just like the book, just like out of the book of Acts. You know, what we see in the book of Acts, you know, God is doing today in India among the slums and villages. So, next, next slide. So, and also, um, uh, this is the picture of some of the Bible colleges. So, what we do, like even I am from South India, and even if I go and preach in a village in North India, people will not accept me, because uh, they will ask, they'll get suspicious. Why is this South Indian guy uh, coming into our village and what is he doing here? So what we do is we go to a place and we raise uh, native evangelists. And that is through our Bible colleges. We have like a two-year Bible course. And in that first year, we teach them through the Bible, throughout the Bible. And then the second year, we place them uh, under one of the evangelists or a pastor. And so these are some of the young, young guys, you know, that we train and we send them out. And so this churches, you know, that we have, you know, that, that these guys will go and start church plants in their hometown or in their villages or in their, like, you know, in the community, like a new community and so on. So, so we have Bible colleges. That is the most important aspect of our ministry because when we train them, we teach them through the Bible and we send them. So, so I want to give you an example of a brother called Jain Arayan. You know, he, when he came uh, into our, uh, into our, uh, uh, into our Bible college, this is how he came to the Lord first. Before that, you know, he was practicing witchcraft and black magic. And uh, he was deep into it. And in India, as you see, there are lot, not many people who are educated. Like, you know, they don't, they, have not, they don't know how to read and write. You know, many times we go and share the gospel in some of the villages, and they'll say, we'll share, hey, Jesus loves you. And they'll say, who's this Jesus? Which movie has he acted in? You know, so that'll be the first question. So we have, they think Jesus is like a movie star. But we know Jesus is a superstar. But, you know, Jesus, they think like he's like acted in a movie. And so we have to go from, uh, they absolutely know nothing about who Jesus is. They don't know what the gospel is. And so this brother was one of them. And so he was, because in his home, you know, uh, because of when, where, there is, uh, where there is like, you know, lack of knowledge of the gospel, 
lot of tradition and superstition and and uh, uh, and, and and demonic stuff is happening so here you know he's practicing all these things and the demons were like you know like you know demons were like you know um, supporting him in his uh, trade of witchcraft and so one day he felt very sick and you know he could not be uh, he could not get well so someone said you know you are not well i know you practice witch witchcraft and black magic why don't you go to the church you know that's down the road uh, there's a pastor there you know he'll pray for you and uh, you'll be delivered and so uh, he goes there and you know um, he comes and he prays and he gets delivered and i'm telling you like in acts chapter 14 you know and uh, th there's so many examples i could give you acts chapter 4 the first contact that many indians have with jesus is through the uh, miracle working power of jesus christ either they get healed in their body or they get uh, delivered from a demonic possession or you know something happens and so when they come and they see okay is it jesus christ or is it my god it's like almost like you know on the on the on the mountain where elijah had a face off with the god of the living god versus the baal you know so it's almost like happens every day so like everybody will come uh, like first time you know they come into the church they'll say uh, is my god powerful or jesus powerful in like you know okay let's let's pray and let's figure it out who's powerful and so that is like that's every week it happens like every sunday morning we have at least one or two people that are possessed by the demon you know who is an unbeliever who comes into the church and we have to pray for them and god has to deliver them from demons and that's the starting point and this brother also the same way he was delivered and so what happens you know that's not the end of the story he started to be a believer he started to come to church but the enemy like you see in the in in matthew chapter 14 and luke chapter 11 where when the demon goes away he is he is going to he's going to say like hey let's go to my home which is this brother's heart you know he was there in his heart so it's like you know he's considering the demon says my home it's like you know basically he's been kicked out of the home he wants to come back to the home with even seven more powerful demons so so it's very important in india especially to to not only bring a believer to christ but also to disciple them and to hold them accountable but also pray for them every day so we have a daily prayer from 7:30 to 8:30 in our church just for these people because the first thing is when you become a christian in india because india is a eastern culture and it's all communal you know everything is family oriented like just like i said arranged marriage by the parents everything like you know family has a big role to play in everyone's life and so when someone becomes a christian the first thing that happens is you know they are kicked out of the family they are rejected by the family they are disowned by the family they said you have brought shame upon our family by trusting in a american god or a or a foreign god and 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 they, they first they have to endure the rejection by family they have to endure the rejection of family gatherings you know because many families have uh, weekly and monthly gatherings you know like there are a lot of festivals and they do, they stop inviting them and they 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 are not allowed to be part of the family gatherings and the third thing is ridicule like they are waiting for an opportunity when a believer comes to christ and then within a month or something you know let's for example take let's let for example let him if he lost his job you know what the relatives will say they'll say you trusted in jesus see our gods are unhappy with you so they have made you lose your job so they get a cold or they get sickness they'll say oh now you know why you got sick because you know our gods are angry with you because you went after this this person called jesus 
So family rejection, societal rejection, ridicule of the people living with you. But also the most important thing is demonic oppression again. So demon wants to find a way to get into this person. So this person's life. And so he, he's, he got really um, started to come to church. And, but he was like, you know, fully not into the Lord. Like, you know, there was still like half-heartedness in certain area. But he had a passion to serve the Lord. He wants to come into the Lord. And then, but what was happening, you know, every night when he used to sleep, there is this uh, something that's happening upon him, like some, some uh, the demonic oppression he can, is manifesting upon himself. Like, you know, he comes and he sleeps and he cannot sleep. Someone is like choking him at night. And so this choking is happening over a period of time and he comes to one of our uh, discipleship schools, the Bible school. He said, hey, I want to sign up for this Bible school, but uh, I'm still like, you know, I'm still being haunted by this thing that, that's like coming and choking me. And so we said, okay, let's, let's uh, pray for you. And so we, everybody laid our hands on him and we prayed for him. And, you know, this is, what I'm quoting is exactly from his own words. He said, you know, that was the last day that the, he was oppressed by the enemy. And God delivered him. The power of Jesus Christ came upon him and it, he was delivered from the clutches of the enemy. And he was set free. And he signed up as a, as a discipleship school student. He completed his one year through the Bible teaching and uh, ministry teaching. And then the second year, he went and worked under a senior pastor. And he went back to his village. And within two months, he had his house was packed with new believers. And it's just amazing. God's power was flowing through his, uh, this man. And, and we had to say, like, okay, what do we do now? So we started to, like, there's no place. So we started to build, like, a small structure. Like, you know, so he has a church as big as this stage right now. And that is not enough. And so he's a pastor now. He is uh, using the power of Jesus to chase demons in this village. So all the people who are worshipping uh, witchcraft and, and all these things, you know, he, they are coming to him. And so just this one example, this is just one example. We have hundreds of examples like this. And these are the native pastors, you know, who are going and standing there. But everything they are doing under persecution. America, you have persecution. India's persecution is very different. Indian persecution is very physical in nature. I said, like, you know, demonic oppression is very physical because it's like in-your-face kind of demonic physical manifestation. But also persecution also, in-your-face persecution. Like, he's been beaten many times, physically beaten by his own village people. It's like, why are you starting to talk about Jesus Christ? So when, when people are educated, you know, people are more civilized, they will have an argument, you know, they will be debating and all. But when people are uncivilized, people have, don't have an education, they will use their fists. And they will, they will punch him, they will throw him in jail. And there's also many states in India where there is an anti-conversion law. So if, some, if you convert someone and one of their family members files a case, the pastor can go to jail for two years. And there's, there's a financial penalty also. So this is the cloud we are operating under. This is how these many believers are living every day in fear, in, in, in oppression from society, from the government, and also from the enemy. So the only answer for all this is fasting and praying. And in India, like, you know, every week, Saturdays are a fasting prayer day. And like every year, we have a three-day fasting prayer. And every month, you know, there is a one-day, like a fasting prayer day. And so people know fasting prayer is as much like, you know, having breakfast for Indians. It's like so common because you know when, when, you, when you don't fast and pray that, that there might be the enemy might be, you know, 
uh, find a way to get into the home or get into the stuff. And so, so people are like, you know, actually, in fact, uh, when I go back 23rd of October to 25th of October, we have a huge Hindu festival. And uh, because it, the festival is there, you know, three-day festival, so we use that opportunity for a three-day fasting prayer. So our, all of our churches in Bangalore, all these uh, states, like, you know, I was showing in the map, all these states that we have churches, they all get together at one place, you know, crammed into this hall, like, you know, like this type of hall, you know, the same size, we'll probably have 1,000 people. <laughs> Not the chairs and everything. It's just like, you know, like, we all crammed together, you know, just praising God, just clapping, no music instruments, nothing, just praising God and singing and hallelujah and just worshiping the Lord whatever way we can. You know, you heard about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but also perspiration by the Holy Spirit. You know, you're like, you know, sweating and like, you know, it's just coming, but it's just an awesome time because, because in God's presence. And that's the amazing thing. And people are so hungry for God, you know, because many times, you know, they don't know how to read the Bible. So the only time that they hear, the, like the Bible verse says, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, so they come on Sunday and like, they, they, they cling on to every word that the pastor is teaching. So how important it is for the pastors to teach the word of God. How important it is to teach the accurate interpretation of the word of God. Because, like, because if I, I'm so scared, you know, like sometimes, you know, if I, if I quote the Bible the wrong way, because God's going to ask me, if you stumble, make one of these children, little one of these ones to stumble, you know what Jesus said, you know, when I cause one of the little one of these to stumble. So I'm double careful to what I'm preaching because it's like, you know, it has to be right out, right out of the word. Because that man or the woman who has no education is clinging on to that word. And when they hear that word on Sunday morning, it is their fuel for that rest of the week. It carries them because they, they are so, I mean, like some of the men and women of faith in India, I learn from the uneducated people. I wish I would have half their faith. And they would, they would hear the word and they would go with, with the promises that God's given them. And they would, they, whatever persecution comes, whatever the enemy does, whatever the um, life can bring, they can go through that because they've heard the word of God. And so it's amazing. And the amount of Bible verses this, these uneducated people memorize I, I'm, I'm sometimes ashamed as a pastor. <laughs> like, I wish that they would, I would learn as much as them because they are memorizing word of God because they, have, they can't read and write. And so, like, this is one example. The next, next picture, please. Uh, this is one of the churches we have. It's a house church. You know, you see there is, like, no chairs, nothing. It's all crammed together, like, you know, and there's a small table, and that's the church. And many times, you know, there are churches which don't have a roof which don't have a proper, like, you know, if you see the wall, uh, it's not been plastered. It's just a bunch of bricks, you know, that kept on each other. And so this is how, uh, this is just an example of one church in North India. And so let's go to the next one I, I want to show. Th these are camps, you know, we organize camps like uh, three days every quarter so that we bring the leaders, we make sure that they are trained, you know, in certain aspects of uh, Bible. And so they go back and uh, the remaining three months they take care of their flock. So, so this is, happening all over India. So um, this ministry, I want you to please remember this. The purpose of me coming here and sharing all this is that you will pray for us. You will know how to pray for us. You will know what to pray for. And so this is, uh, I, I ask like, you know, like in, uh, in um, um, I think in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse, verse 11, it says, very easy to remember, 2 Corinthians 1, 11, it says, while you join in helping us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that comes to us through the prayers of many. So, so Paul saying, hey, I, I want you to help me 
What's the help he wants? He wants the help of prayer. He says, join, jo- join in helping us by your prayers. And then it says, the gift that comes to us through the prayers of many. And so, so this, when people pray, when people are praying day and night, you know, and worshipping the Lord, and God's, God's, God's move upon their life and, and upon their families is tremendous. So, so I want you to pray for the church in India. I want you to pray for the evangelists in India, these uh, persecuted church in India, the suffering church in India. I'll probably talk about that, the sufferings in, in the Sunday teaching also. But, uh, but I want you to also pray for the enemy to be put to shame, that Satan will, will, will run away. Because there are so many times, you know, when people are, are, are like, you know, half-hearted with following Jesus, they are kind of like backslidden. Satan comes and he creates even more trouble. So please pray for our churches. So that is H is for homes. O is for outreach. Uh, P is for, uh, next one, please. Next, next. Yeah, it's the HIV widow care. Like I said, you know, in India, people live, um, like a HIV widow um, will, will live for, like, you know, she will, she will probably earn, like, she can't even work, you know, because she's physically weak. She lost her husband. And because the husband was the earning member of the family, so she has nothing to provide for the family. And she will go to a daily work and she probably get like $150 or probably $100 a month. So what we do, we give them $15 worth of uh, nutrition, like $15 worth of assistance to their family. So we don't give them cash, we buy them some groceries. Just like you have the food pantry here, we buy them $15 worth of uh, um, rice, you know, which is a staple food there, wheat and some nutritious powder and so on. So that's the bag that they are carrying. And so we give this to these widows. And so right now we are, we are providing for 250 widows around India. And there's thousands of them more. But you know, we, we, whatever God provides, with that money, we are helping the widows. And not only widows, there's another group of people we are helping. That is, uh, the next one please, is the leprosy. So leprosy is, there are leprosy colonies in India. People with leprosy, you know, if you have not seen leprosy, uh, leprosy means like, let's say like, you know, I, I don't have any of my fingers. Like, you know, all 10 of my fingers are gone. And the same thing with my toes. So it starts eating into the flesh. And so, uh, like you see, that, that's one of the leprosy camps. Like, you know, that, the guy who's sitting there and, and uh, for example, this lady here, you know, she's lost all her fingers in one hand. So, and people don't touch them also. So they are living in separate, like in the times of Jesus. You know, basically when you read New Testament, you can literally apply that to Indian situation. Because you see leprosy people, you see people oppressed with demonic stuff. So, so these lepers are there and we go to their place and we provide them some nutrition, food and once a month. And so uh, they are so, th- so thankful for it and they are praising the Lord and they are, they are, uh, they are, uh, they are happy. You know, they, they, they have church service. You know, they are, they, are, uh, they are wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ. So we have many leprosy camps that we take care of. So that is P. So H is for homes, O is for outreach and the gospel. And then P is for provision. And the lastly, we have another one is called uh, skill training. In India, 90% of the graduates, you know, who come through college cannot have a job because they don't know how to even write one sentence in English. They don't know how to send an email. So what we do, because the colleges are um, not having quality education. So we provide like a six to nine month training for young people from our churches who, who don't have a who, do, who cannot get a job, probably they are not able to get a job for one or two years or three years. We bring them to our uh, training center. We give them training in how to write emails, how to talk in English, how to make presentations, and all these things. So that uh, maybe they are getting $150 a month, 
but we want them to enable so th through this training they are able to get 300 to 400 dollars a month which is a, which is double their money income but at the same time they are on the path to growing in their career so that is that is the skills training and so education so this is uh, send hope ministry and so um, one of the verses i want you to uh, look at is uh, jesus writing in john chapter 12 this is one of the uh, ministry uh, verses you know that we always share to many people in john chapter 12 verse 23 onwards john 12 23 onwards i'll read jesus replied to them the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified truly i tell you unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains by itself but if it dies it produces much fruit the one who loves his life will lose it the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So this verse 24, it says, I tell you, unless a wheat of grain falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. And so this is the verse we teach to people you know, who are suffering. They, they, unless this wheat, you know, the, 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 the grain, it falls to the ground, it just doesn't die. It is unfruitful. It's not fruitful. But when it dies, falls to the ground, and it dies, it brings life. It gives fruit, and it's so much, so much more um, flourishing, you know, and prosperous. And so we we want uh, this to be the mission, you know, that that we will go where no man has gone, no woman has gone. Some of the churches that we have have come from tribal areas. I, we are not saving today's message online, right? You know, <laughs> I forgot to say you can stream it, but uh, not to upload it, you know, because uh, the because usually, because when I share all these things, you know, it is it is not allowed in India to be like you know to be publicly shared, you know, because uh, there will be some things you know that I might be in trouble with the government tomorrow when I go back. So the thing is that um, we tell our young people, we tell our people, like you know, unless unless you there is a cost, you know, to become a Christian, there is a cost to follow Jesus, and so when when you follow Jesus, when you pay the cost, when you pay that price, you know, there will be a fruit in your family, in your society, in your slum, in your church. And so many people are being saved, and many people are being led into Christ. And so all the pastors today we have are people who were worshipping idols one day. They were following black magic and witchcraft in previous time. You know, so God's using this ministry, and uh, I thank you very much you know, for praying for us and listening to us today. And so... Uh, there's more information about our ministry. You know, there is at the back, uh, back one of the tables, you know, there is a uh, report on like what we did last year, 2022 report. And then there is a uh, thing about India Send Hope. And um, also, if you, I just want you to pray. And if you want to support a child or a pastor or a widow or someone, you know, there is a pledge card. And if you want, you know, if you're interested, you don't have to. But if you're interested, you can sign this and hand the form to pastor or to me or anyone. And uh, we'll contact you, you know, how to do that. So, so uh, this is what the Lord is doing. So uh, if you have any questions right now, uh, I'm more than happy to answer. And, um, uh, and then you know, probably I'll, I'll close after prayer. So any questions you guys have? Yes, brother. So I'm going to kind of speak a little bit in code so nothing gets censored. <laughs> um, but I'm a, a healthcare worker, mm -hmm. and I know there was a disease that came new 
you know, in mm-hmm. the last three or yeah. so years. And even though that disease was bad, a lot of times the response of different organizations and governments to that mm-hmm. disease was even worse, causing isolation yeah. and, yeah. and harm to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I do know of Uttar Pradesh being yeah. really a miracle mm-hmm. of, of uh, um, early treatment for that mm-hmm. particular thing. And I'm, I was kind of wondering how um, how you're, you saw the spiritual side of, of uh, people coming and trying to help treat this terrible disease mm-hmm. and the oppression that some of the response to it brought. Yeah. Um, <coughs> because we are the minority in India. And uh, I would say, like, you know, I've been in many countries in the world. Uh, there's no place like America. Because you, the freedom that you have, the liberty that you have, the individual liberty to speak against the government is just amazing. I mean, there are uh, there are times you know when you cannot, but the amazing liberty that you have is something that we can only dream of. And so in India, we were basically like you know forced to uh, take that um, option that the government provided. So like you know, we, there's no way I can say no because if I don't take that uh, injection that the government gives. You know, like, I, I cannot board a bus. I cannot go into public. I have to carry my certificate all the time, saying, okay, I got the shots. I got one shot. I got second shot. And only then I can even go into the public area. And so, because there's no voice for the common man. And there's no voice for people, you know, to raise against the government. And, like, you know, many times if you, are, if you raise uh, the voice, you know, uh, either you will be uh, thrown into jail or you know you will be uh, you'll be laughed at you know because everybody is doing that and I'm the kind of like like the only one who's being a hindrance to it, you know. So so uh, that was something in India we all had to take it. You know there was no no other option, and uh, basically we were uh, they came ho- home to home <laughs> and they uh, gave the shots. You know it's like not even like you know going there. So basically the the government officials would come health healthcare officials would come to homes and they will give the shots. And uh, obviously it was free, you know, in India because of some subsidy from the government. But still, you know, it was forced upon us. And so there is no way we can say no about that. Yeah. Uh, about, about 12 years. About 12 years. About 12 years they were, they were given. And so, so uh, th- there are some things, you know, like, like uh, we, 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 are, we, we cannot say no to the government. And even, even when the pastors are uh, arrested by the, by the cops and... Uh, you could have all the re- they c- they could even have a false complaint and the p- and the the the, uh, the c- complaint will be written uh, where it's all untruths you know it's all false things because the the cop is a, is a not a christian and the and the politician is not a christian so so we are like free target for them and nobody cares we are only 3% of the population you know so so even if we are thrown into jail even if you are killed you know nobody cares you know, because so we are so insignificant so, so that's the thing. So it's not just um, in medical areas, but also in uh, in, in religious uh, things. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, brother. Yeah. Sure, I'll. How severe is the persecution from the Hindu nationalists? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, <coughs> I can be open, right? Uh, really? Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you can stream it, but not upload it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the persecution in uh, uh, is 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 like you know when you read Matthew chapter ten, uh, Jesus says persecution will come from the courts, from the governors, from the officials. Persecution come from your family, 
persecution will come from the learned people in the society. All those things. Exactly. Matthew chapter 10, whatever Jesus says is happening. And so, so the only way we can uh, handle persecution is that you know we put our hope in Jesus Christ. Because we can't put our hope in government, we cannot raise our voice with the, against the government or anything. So, so persecution is like, you know, it's not something that it happens once in a while. It is always there. It is always there. Every week there is a persecution. Every week, like, you know, people are being thrown out of homes. So when, when someone becomes a Christian, they are thrown out of homes and we have to, church has to provide them. So like I always say, uh, the blood is thicker than water, they say. But I say, blood of Jesus is even more thicker than the blood of the family. Because... Because, like, you know, we are, we are the only family members for them once they accept Jesus Christ. So you see the amount of uh, the unity that needs to be in the ch- church, you know, the unity that we need to have as church families. So when I talk about church being a family, it's like literally we are one family in Christ. And, and, and because, because they have nobody else but the church family members. So someone gets persecuted, you know, the, the, there's nobody to comfort them but other people in the church. So persecution is there. I would say emotional persecution it's a physical persecution from the anti uh, anti uh, I mean like anti christians you know the uh, hindu right wing people and uh, i mean every day there's videos of pastors being beaten uh, believers being like you know there'll be like one time in our church you know we were <coughs> sunday morning my dad's teaching and i'm sitting there and um, these uh, hindu nationals in hindu nationalists uh, they come into the right wing you know they are the right wing hindu groups you know they came into the pulpit and they pulled the Bible from my dad's hand. They pushed my dad and made him to sit here. They called my dad an American agent, you know, because uh, we are, we are take, sharing the gospel. He started to preach from the pulpit. He says, you know, India has millions of gods. Why do you need a foreign god? And he started to preach. And then he started to, there, there was like people with sticks who came. And all the people with sticks, you know, they went and pulled the Bibles from everybody's hand. My mom got so bold, you know, she, all the children, the women started getting up and the, and the children started to cry. And the women said, like, you know, like, don't take the Bible from us. You take anything from us, but don't take the Bible away from us. And these guys kind of felt ashamed because, like, you know, in India, it's a male-dominated society. When a woman speaks against you, it's, like, kind of, like, shameful for the man. (laughs) So they got very ashamed, and they kind of went away. And we went to the police the next day to file a complaint. And you know what the police is saying? I know which which group came to your house. Why don't you go and have a chat with the leader of that group? And, you know... Just sort it out out of the police station. I don't want to file a complaint. Because it's going to be worse for you, for your church, if you file a complaint. So the next day, what we did, you know, we went and spoke to that uh, leader and said, what, what did we ever do to you? I mean, like, why are we treated like uh, sheep for the slaughter here? And, you know, that guy, we said, we do only good things. We have run an orphanage for children. You don't touch those children. You, these children are untouchable children. You guys don't touch these children, but we are taking care of those children. We are feeding them. You know, we are touching them. We are loving them. So is it wrong? You know, what we do, is it wrong? And he kind of, he got like a little ashamed by our questions. And he said, okay, fine. We know we won't come and attack you. So, so the only way, my dad always says, like, you know, the only way to, to face persecution is like this. Which is like, you know, humble yourself. Like, you know, just, just make sure that you say, okay, we are like, a, we are like you know, like innocent, you know, like people who just, you know, because there's, we cannot even raise our voice. We cannot even question when they beat us. We just have to, like uh, Jesus says, you know, show your other cheek and just go away. So, but I mean, but at the same time, God is at work. Wherever we see persecution, we are so happy because there's going to be a great harvest in that place. 
So praise the Lord for persecution. That's why the Bible says, you know, rejoice when you are suffering. When people persecute you, Matthew chapter 5, when people persecute you and say all sorts of things against you, Jesus says only one thing, rejoice. <laughs> so, so basically it's just rejoicing for the, what the God's going to do in the future. So, testimony, uh, it's a long testimony, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly share. Um, when, I, uh, when I was growing up, I was a pastor's kid. And uh, it's, it's very hard to be a pastor's kid, you know, because uh, you, you have to maintain a lot of standards, you know. <laughs> if a pastor's kid, pastor's kid, you know, it doesn't maintain the standard, you know, it's a lot of pressure on you. So I was grown in that situation. And India is a very um, self-righteous uh, society. It's like, you know, like, uh, if I do this, if I do all these things, you know, then I will be blessed by God and all that, you know, very self-righteous. So because the... Uh, society is self-righteous, you know, they, they dump their self-righteousness on us. And so uh, it was very, a lot of pressure growing up. Um, but there was a point where in high school, um, um, I started to be, uh, I started to walk away from the Lord. And uh, when I started to walk away from the Lord because of all my friends, you know, who are unbelievers. In my whole class of 100 people in my high school, um, just I'm the only Christian guy. And so um, I, I kind of got into with bad friends and uh, bad uh, relationships. And so at th th that point, you know, I was even ashamed to come into church. I was not willing to come to church because I knew my lifestyle was not right. And at that time, you know, um, I, I was broken one day and, and, and I said, like, you know, I'll run away from my home, you know, because I, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. I can't face the church. I can't face the church members. But at the same time, I can't face my friends, you know, because I'm not able to uh, live in this pleasure of, of what they are doing. And so, uh, at that time, you know, God used uh, uh, a brother in my life, and who, who, was a, who, was a, who was a youth pastor in my church, and he came and he noticed that I was struggling. He noticed that I was, uh, I was something was not right in my life. So he called me, he, he prayed for me, I, I kind of spoke to him for like one month, you know, he led me into the truth of the gospel of grace. And so he gave me this book by Pastor Chuck Smith called, uh, Why Grace Changes Everything. And so uh, that book was a turning point in my life. And so I knew that uh, Christian life is not a factory, but a garden. It's a relationship. You know, it's not like a factory mindset where you're like working hard to prove that you're a good man or a good woman, but it's just a relationship with God. And so that was my, uh, I repented and I turned to God and, and um, I, I, I started to grow in the Lord. And so uh, that was my time, you know, when, when uh, everything changed. And then after that, I came to U.S., you know, after my undergraduate. And so being with Christian brothers and sisters here and knowing what is fellowship and family, and uh, that really uh, changed a lot of things, you know. And uh, I'm continuing to walk in God's grace. And <laughs> so that's my short testimony, brothers. Thank you. Any other questions we have? Okay. Okay. So... Um, uh, thank you for listening patiently. Let me pray and I'll uh, think. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega. Lord, you created, Lord, each one of us, Lord. The church family in India is the same and the church family here, Lord, is the same. We are all united by your blood and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray, Lord, that uh, as we go back home, Lord, that we would continue to Pray for the lost souls in India, Lord, the needy people, the people stuck in superstition, the people stuck in idol worship and, Lord, demonic oppression and witchcraft and black magic and all these things, Lord. People who don't know the difference between the right hand and the left hand. 
Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would raise up workers, Lord, to send into the harvest field. Lord, as a church, Lord, as a church family, we pray that you, was, you would give us your burden, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, that you would give us a compassion, Lord, to share your word to the people, Lord, who are suffering. I commit, Lord, each one of us here into your hands. Oh, lead us and guide us. Spirit of God, come upon us and lead us. We commit this time into your hands. Bless the church, Lord. Bless the elders of the church, the leadership, and Lord, and, and every believer, Lord, who's here, Lord, and who's not here, Lord. You provide for them. Lead them with your mighty arm. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's all stand and love you one more song. I'm just uh, blown away. I love talking to, to Pastor Ulrich um, when he's here, and I can talk all night with him at our house. And I'm just blown away because this is the early church, real life going on in India right now. We haven't got a clue in the United States about this stuff. This is like God moving, God working. I think you might bring it up on Sunday <clears throat> when you talk about demon possession in, in India. 
It is real stuff. It is the we don't have it here like they have it there. It is radical, and and these pastors that have to pray for these these men to be free from and women to be from demons, they have to be fasting and praying up because if they're not, it's a horrible situation. And so when you hear this and you go, God is doing powerful things in India because that's all they have. And when they turn, like John was saying, when they when they turn to Christ. I mean, he's everything to them. And so just, it's been a real encouragement to me and a real um, eye-opener to be so thankful for what we have, though, but now to know exactly ways we can pray and help support. So as you said, there's all sorts of, the table in the back we have with all the materials on there, or you can come up and talk to him right now. Great. God bless you guys. Come back Sunday. He's going to give you a great message. So God bless you guys.